Welcome to the Pints and Polishing Podcast, the most informational, educational, and entertaining podcast for auto detailers. Welcome to the community. For all of you on Welcome Facebook. to the Pints and Polishing Podcast. <laughs> all right. My name is Marshall Hill, and I'm your guide as we journey through the auto detailing business. You can find me on most platforms at Total Auto Solutions. Uh, if you are on TikTok, find me at Detail Splat. Best way to get in touch with me, 918-800-1188. I'm joined today with Nick from Vegas Rides. You can find him on most platforms, Vegas.rides. You want to reach out to him, get him on uh Email best way and uh, Nick at VegasRides.com. Take two, Nick. Take two uh, on this one. Uh, apparently, for all those people by- out there, Marty Hill forgot to push record. So we're coming to you for the <laughs> second time, but that's all right. <laughs> shit happens, huh? It shit happens. Hmm. Shit happens. So I'm drinking uh, Stone Cloud Neon Sunshine. Is a uh, favorite here at the podcast. A guy uh, used to come through on a regular basis when we record on Wednesday nights. And uh, he would come through, and that was his favorite beer. Uh, Paul would drink uh, Neon Sunshine. The, the version of Neon Sunshine, the first part of the beer that first began to come out that made a lot of changes for you and I was Blue Moon. And uh, Blue Moon, when it came into the field, you had to have an orange slice. You had to do certain things with it. I, uh, I many times would look at a, cust- at a lady if she was going to, you know, give me a beer and not have an orange slice. And it's like, Hey, I got to have an orange slice. It is part of it, right? It, it is what it is. You, you definitely have to have oranges. The, the thing about the relationship of beer, orange doesn't always mix the relationship of beer. That's blue moon and an orange has to, right? They go hand yeah. in hand. There's something about it. Yeah. I got into a lot of this beer this weekend your story, I think, of the weekend is quite a bit different than mine of drinking beer. Uh, yeah, no what beer. was your story like? No beer, no beer for me. Yeah. Um, this weekend, uh, just ran into a little bit of an issue. You know, we had a Mercedes uh, that I shared on Instagram stories, the Total Auto Solutions page today. That kind of started late last week. Uh, basically, had wooden garage doors refinished or one of our customers had them refinished and lacquer was sprayed on the doors. Awesome. Uh, they didn't think about cars inside of the garage Mm. and lacquer came all through the garage, all over a $185,000 S 63 AMG Benz black on black with black wheels. Not good. And, uh, you know, a pressure pack situation because it turned into he said, she said, right? I mean, this happens to everybody out there. I referenced this on Instagram stories on the Total Auto Solutions page today is these are tough situations. 10 years ago, I don't know that I handle this as well as I do now. And not that you can ever handle them perfectly. uh, But, you know, we had to try a ton of stuff. You said he said, she said. What's the he said, she said? Well, the the contractor said that they didn't do anything. There's no way they did that. Uh, The contractor basically said we were making it up. And he didn't do anything wrong. The garage door was shut. So I had to go into explaining people how your garage is not air sealed tight or you would die because you need air to breathe. Uh, It's not airtight. 
So he argued and argued and argued and argued. And he got my client very worked up on a phone call. And then guess what happens? We all know after the client gets worked up with the contractor denying any problems, she starts to believe him a little bit. Nick doesn't know what he's talking about. And this is a person I know of 10 years, 10 years and has been the perfect client. And she had a moment of this contractor made her believe he wasn't in the wrong. Now, the great thing is that she's a great client and a good person and she'll listen. But guess what? When she called me, it was not a great conversation. What'd you guys do? Like I could spray something on the car that would create this effect anyway, but she doesn't know that. And a lot of times, Marty, you and I talk about this. Detailers take for granted that people understand their cars. They don't largely. And she's a great client that really loves her cars, but she doesn't understand what we understand. And so a lot of times you have to go through that in your brain that even if it's a car guy or car gal out there, you probably know infinitely more about car care than they're ever going to know. And so you have to discuss overspray and you have to discuss how this could happen, how it would make your car feel if you ran your hand across it. I mean, think about how element, elementary that is for you and I, but you really have to have this conversation with clients and how many guys just don't do that. They're just like, oh, if you don't believe me, I'm out of here, right? It's easy to do that. Just get pissed off that somebody's not trusting your expert opinion. And so we had a very heated, like 25 minute conversation. And guess what I had to do? I had to back out. I had to say, Hey, you're worked up. I'm about to get worked up. The contractor's worked up. I got to back out of the situation. So you just walked away and let go of your client. So, so what I said was I'll send this to you in an email. Okay, I'm going to document everything that we came across today, and I'm going to tell you exactly my opinion. But here's the important part that I think a lot of guys maybe can benefit from. I know I could have 10 years ago. In the end of that email, which was about two pages long of documenting everything that went on, the very end, I gave a solution. We can fix the problem. Here's the cost. Here's how many hours it's going to take. Here's the ramifications of things. If this doesn't work, then we'll move to this. If this doesn't work, we'll move to that. And I'll have it done by Monday at the end of business. Here's what happened. <laughs> Everybody calmed down. She came to her senses, realized this contractor was in the wrong, which is okay. He made a mistake. And we got to work on the vehicle. And so that's what a lot of guys saw this morning on Instagram stories was us going through solving that issue. But yeah, it was, when you have a client for 10 years, man, it was a tense time, right? Like you don't want to screw those relationships up, but your ego, you're like, how can you question me? Right. And I know you've been through that. I mean, I know what overspray is. This is element. This is really basic stuff for us. And, and so I walked through that for, for a couple of days for sure. So when you're walking through that with an upset customer, uh, if we're going to think about, you know, how do we as detailers work around upset customers and somebody's got an issue, right? We didn't cause the problem. I, yeah, of course we get blindsided, right? Of course you get blindsided every once in a while with bullshit. There's very little bullshit with scratches, Right. I don't yeah. remember. I know there's a big push. A lot of people in the industry want to talk about perfect pain and why you got to polish paint for so many hours and why you got to do all this. Like I get it, but very little have I ever had a customer with issues of their paint 
usually if a customer has an issue, it's usually about that street going across the windshield. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I always got hit, right? Number one complaint was always, hey, the car looked great until I turned into the sun. I couldn't see out of my windshield. Yeah. Yeah. Basics, right? The basics basics. always burn you. Always. Like how to handle a customer that's upset. You give me a beer that's a blue moon and you don't have an orange. You tell me you don't have an orange. You give me a Corona without a lime. Yeah. I like, I need a fucking lime. Like it is what it is. Yeah. So how, how'd you, I know you said you sent an email, but I mean, walk us through real quick. What's in that email? Like how, how do you go through and, and talk down? Right. I mean, that's a de-escalation, right? So how do you de-escalate a customer? Well, first of all, once you feel like, and this is something I've had to learn, and I, I think we all go through this. I had to learn the signs of, I can't say anything more on the phone. I've stated my case. Like now we're going in circles and the way this ends is badly, right? Like I've stated everything I can state. This person's still angry. You have to identify that before anybody else. Otherwise you're going to lose a customer, right? You're going to MF each other. You're, I mean, you're going to get to that point, right? You can't just keep arguing on the phone. And I wouldn't say we were arguing, but we were headed to that heated discussion. And it was like, okay, I got to get off the phone. Okay. So once I acknowledged that, I just said, hey, I'll send you a professional email laying out everything that we saw. And I went in even as detailed as, as we were walking up to the garage, we smelled a paint-like substance. I was that specific at the beginning of the email. We smelled it in the middle of her driveway and she has a large driveway. By the time we got halfway up, it was like, "Uh uh-oh, something's been painted here. And if you take care of enough customers, the smell that you hate to smell is paint. Because what's your first thought? God, I hope they covered the car. If it's not that, you haven't really detailed very many cars. Because if you smell paint and you don't get a little worried, then you haven't detailed a bunch of cars. Because that's the first sign of there's overspray somewhere. Right? So I went as detailed as that. Then we opened the garage door. The funny thing is we didn't notice that the garage door was the thing that got painted because you don't really look at wood garage doors like that. You just smell something that smells like paint. So we open the door and it looks like the car is covered in dust. And I put that in the email. It looks like your car is covered in dust. To make sure we weren't in the wrong, guess what we did? We pulled the car out, rinsed it down, soaked it, made sure we got any kind of dust off the car and make sure we weren't misdiagnosing what was happening, even though we knew. So I went through all the detail of everything we did. We looked around and said what had been painted in the garage. It wasn't until we walked out and looked around and thought maybe it was the front. We go, oh, look at how shiny the garage wood garage doors are. Maybe she had this done. Okay. So we then, and this is a little tip that can help people. We went to other things in the garage. If people have picture frames hanging in their garage or in a room or whatever, guess where you can find overspray on those frames. The thing that actually calmed her down was the fact that we knew there was overspray on those frames that she could go home and touch and say, this isn't just on your car. That is actually something I wrote in the email that completely de-escalated the entire situation. It's that attention to detail. And look, this isn't a paint correction technique. I'm not the greatest paint correction specialist on Instagram, but you know what I am? A good business person. 
And I knew that we needed to understand what was happening in that garage. And so that's what we did. And that's why we walked up to the picture frame and went, there's overspray here. And guess what was put in the email? Now, guess what? There's going to be a lot of people talk about technique. Oh, I'm the best technique this, this. How many know to do this kind of stuff? This is really high level to me. Business is learning to deescalate. And so my, when you ask about that email, it was so specific, overly so. And most people would look at that and go, I'm not going to do that. Okay. Then you're not going to have a 10 year client because something bad's going to happen. It always does. And being able to deescalate her and what she was going through, through that email. And I mean, Marty, I went through everything, the smell, the picture frames, what we saw on the car, when we washed the car, what we felt, what we've already tried, what we're going to have to, I mean, I went item by item. So as specific as I could be is the answer to the question. So you, you not only salvaged the relationship, but I think, uh, I think you might've also fixed the vehicle. Yeah. We fixed the vehicle this morning and so what, we're not. Yeah. What let's talk about what you used and why you used it. Cause that's what I think is going to be interesting, right? Like yeah. when, when I hear the story of lacquer and we think overspray, right? So I immediately think of paint, right? But yeah. you're talking about wood doors. And so this is a stain if I'm not yeah. And, right. and again, it, you know, we used to call it varnish was probably the word people yep. used to use more. Um, and again, I don't know exactly what was used because I didn't get into all that. I just knew that the doors would be refinished. So if I'm speaking improperly and calling it lacquer and people call it something else, but it was whatever was used to refinish the, do the, the wooden doors, that final coat that they put on and sprayed on is what's on the car. Yeah. Okay. And so we get into the detail-esque of it, right? So yeah. business side of it, got to save that relationship. Nicely yep. done, right? Like, and we could have, we could have gone in a couple different directions. If we would have blown up, wouldn't have got it. Oh, yeah. I think some detailers might've said, Hey, it wasn't us. And when they pushed us like, Hey, fuck you. Like whatever, yep. you don't believe me, then fuck it. Right. Yep. Like, and, and by the way, I, I would have done that 10 years ago. I mean, I'd have yeah. been like, hey, how dare you? You know, I I mean, you're accusing me of something I didn't do, right? Like, I, I need to walk away. Like, this is crazy. Can't believe you're blaming me and just walk away. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people would do that. So, But, but where, let's get into the detail yeah. side of it. Like, yeah. So, so how, where we what started. Did, yeah. What'd you go through? How'd you try and figure out? Because I want to go into the problem solving of it. Yeah. If if we de-escalated, how do I go into a problem and start going down a system of trying to fix it? Okay. So the first thing that I did is when we see overspray, the first thing everybody thinks about is clay bar, right? Yeah. So the day we found it, I went to a back quarter panel where nobody could see and nobody would have noticed if something had gone wrong. It's the same principle you teach anybody. Just go to a, you know, a spot that's hidden and figure out what's happening and figure out a solution. So that's what I did. So I took a really fine clay bar because what I'm trying to do now is go from least aggressive to most aggressive, right? Like that's, that's just a natural thing to do in detailing. Why? Well, because of a basic thought process, I don't want to inflict any more damage than I have to. It's the same with paint correction. A lot of people, I'm seeing a ton of sandpaper these days. And for skilled people, two thumbs up. 
I've used sandpaper for 23 years. I, I don't, I don't remember walking into that many people that were skilled with sandpaper. Well, and did you walk into every sandpaper job with sandpaper being the first option? Yeah, that was never the case I was ever taught, right? But now, let's not get off subject. We can have the sandpaper no, discussion. But the, yeah. No, but the reason why I was saying those questions, the reason why I said that was yeah. because we don't go into a problem and try and solve it with the hardest possible solution. Yeah, the best the way to solve somebody's yeah. problem is to start with the easiest answer for both of you because if it's easier for me, it's going to be easier for the customer, and they're already in a pickle I got to make it the easiest for everybody, right? Like yeah. easier in and out, easier financially, easier time-wise. Like you just yep. want everything when you're solving a problem to be easy. So you start with the easiest yeah. possible. The, thing. Yeah. The least aggressive to most aggressive. And, and a lot of it has to do with, you always want to preserve the car. Okay. The more aggressive I get, the least amount of preservation I'm doing for the customer. These are expensive vehicles. Cars are up in price astronomically you should always be thinking, how do I preserve the most clear coat? How do I preserve the most leather coating, you know, that comes from the factory? I should always be trying to preserve the car. That's the way that I, I think. And that's the way I think is a pretty safe way to operate your business. So as we saw this problem, I knew I couldn't solve it that day unless it was going to be a fine clay bar. Okay. A really light clay bar. Because anything else we were going to have to discuss with the customer about polishing, maybe heavy compounding, if we really had to go heavy at the paint. So I try the light clay bar. I mean, you want to talk about not removing anything. It wasn't even coming close. So now I know what this means. In the overspray world, the, the horizontal panels are always going to get caked more with overspray than the vertical panels. And I had tried this on a vertical panel, the vertical back quarter panel on the rear passenger side. So now guess what I'm thinking to myself? <laughs> if this didn't work here, there's no prayer on the flat panels, trunk, roof, hood that I, I mean, it's got to be a mess. So I got to get on the phone and I got to tell her, Hey, look, I got to come back Monday. She's calmed down at this point, right? She's already in agreement. We need to fix the problem. Everything had been calmed down. Now I got to make the schedule appointment to come back today and say, Hey, look, don't drive the car. Don't let it get in the sun. She has a second vehicle, obviously. Do not let this car move. And there's the next part of it. When you have to tell somebody that owns a car that they can't drive their car, as a mobile detailer, it's not at your shop. Remember, it's sitting in their garage. I always find that odd. Like, hey, uh, I'm going to need you not to get in this car this weekend. I know you pay a lot of money for it, but don't put don't put it in drive. Uh, so when we got there this morning, uh, I moved to our clay mitt, the clay mitt that we sell on a detail supply app. And I'll tell you why. I don't use clay mitts all that often because I was I, I was born, you know, in this business with clay. So I have a comfort level with it. I know how to manipulate it. I know how quickly I can get around a car. I, I just, there's no real rhyme or reason other than it's what I've always used and I'm comfortable with it. Never had a concern for that oopsie drop or, you know, having to re-knead no. it or grabbing I, up I too much I, crap the, off the bottom. And, yeah, yeah, see, I, I never, 
I never cared about the people really got, you know, look, and that's the great thing about mitts and, and all that stuff now is it seems to put guys, uh, sponges, guys love it. And, and, and I see why today, I mean, I was able to, to get around the car much quicker, but I also still had to go back with a heavy purple clay bar and do some of the tight areas and things like that. So mitt to me is not a perfect solution for every, to get into every nook and cranny if you really have a problem like this, but here became the problem. The stuff, not all of it came off. That mitt probably got me 90% there, which was better than anything else I was going to use. So the mitt that we sell is a mitt that got me out of trouble, but I still kind of had a 90% problem and I was having a huge issue on the glass. I shared a little bit of this on Instagram story where I actually took, I put paint thinner, and what you know, paint thinner and kind of watered it down a little bit to spray on the glass and spray on some parts of the panels that I couldn't, the clay bar was not getting this stuff off. Now, the craziest part about this was that my client knew that I may have to go to paint thinner because I told her the story. I may have to use some paint thinner on your car. I need you to sign off that you understand that this isn't always the easiest thing to tell people like things can happen. You know, I want you to, you know, release me of any liability. And if you don't want me to do it, then, <laughs> you know, fine. But our clay bar did an, or our clay mitt did an awesome job, but on every piece of glass, I had to use paint thinner. And I had to allow that to kind of eat away at that, that, like I said, that lacquer, and just work it and work it. And so then I let it sit there for a minute, made sure it wasn't drying, you know, cause I am in somebody's garage. It is pretty hot in Las Vegas right now. I need to make sure that I always kept it, you know, operational, you know, where it wasn't drying on the surface. And then I kind of, I took an, a, a, a brand new towel that I was never going to use again and started to kind of use that to see if this stuff was breaking loose with the thinner. And so what I found was it was, and I was getting to where I wanted to go, but it wasn't happening quickly. Um, so then I went and I got a, a scraper, you know, with a razor blade scraper. At first, when I tried the razor blade scraper without the paint thinner, it wasn't working. It was going to take me forever because it was just caked on there. But as I introduced that solvent in there with the scraper, we had a winner. And so we were able to get the car completely cleaned up and schedule it for a paint correction a couple weeks from now. Uh, we're going to have to, obviously we inflicted a lot of damage with the clay mitt. Uh, a lot of damage is the wrong word, but much more than you're comfortable with because you had to be a little more aggressive. We're gonna go do a thorough one step on this Mercedes. Uh, but it was, when I got to make the phone call it was a good good time after this weekend for sure. So why did you, Why'd you schedule it out later? Why not do it all at the same time? She wants to drive her car. So she wanted her car by lunchtime today. I was able to get it done by like 10, 30, 11 o'clock here. And she wanted her car back. And guess what? You don't always get to argue, you know, and I'm not going to have that argument. Uh, she's a great client of ours. We have, you know, keys to her car. She gives us every time she gets a new car, we come in and out as we please. She'll, she just wanted to be in her car. And yeah. so I just said, great, we can, we can schedule it for a couple of weeks. And that's what we did. <clears throat> Makes sense. 
when you're when you're thinking clay, right? You mentioned that you you've always just been the old school clay guy, and uh, you said a second ago that the clay pad you got it done quite a bit faster, right? So when I'm thinking clay bars or thinking clay pads, that's always been my reason when people will ask me, wait. Do you like a clay bar or do you like a clay pad? And I go, well, do I like to go over this amount of space or do I like to go over this much of space, right? So for all you audio people, I'm holding up my finger like, I'm, like I've got a small little piece of clay and then a clay pad is just, you got a lot massive, what, 10 times amount? At least yeah. 10 times amount yeah, of surface a lot, area. Lot of surface, a lot of surface, a lot of surface area. And when you're claying, right? And I think there's a, a lot of reasons why detailers don't clay, which is going to be a question I want to dive in with you, right? When should we use clay and when should we not use clay, right? Like when I've been out training and certifying detailers and getting them ready, you know, there's a theory that many of them have is, well, claying just takes so long. Well, if I'm going to spray a car down with foam, wash it, rinse it, and reshoot it with foam, then I can come over with the clay mitt that has a surface area of about, what'd you say, about six by 10 inches or so. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a pretty good instead of just a couple inch by inch. And you can even get even bigger. I mean, think about the clay sheets. I mean, guys could really get a lot of work done pretty quick. They can. But most people like to think of a clay bar and going, like this and going real small and just barely moving their hand. And they, it takes them hours to do a car hours. And they go, Oh, you can't do that. You got to charge somebody for a clay bar service because it takes hours. Yeah. You know, I've heard that argument and I, I never struggled claying the car quickly, even with clay, but you can certainly do it much quicker with a clay mitt. Like there's no, there's no comparison, right? I've never understood the clay conversation. Clay is often underused and overused at the same time. There are some people that clay every car they come across. They don't even check for contamination. Okay, that's fine. Here's the argument for most detailers. Check if there's contamination. If there's contamination, clay the car. If there's no contamination, don't clay the car. All right, so it's one of my simple. questions was going to be, when do you use clay? And for me, yeah, since I'm the guy that raised my hand, there's people that use clay on every car like – but cars coming in to get a coating, I don't care if it's just brought it over from the dealership, it's going to get a clay. If I'm going to put any type of protection on a car, I'm just going to clay it. I can feel a car and know that it feels pretty good, but geez, I can feel a car and it so feels I don't have a problem. Yeah, so hold on. I don't have a problem with standardizing things for your business, right? Like if you're trying to grow and you need to set rules for your team, my team, I don't want them sitting there feeling and trying to make the judgment, right? So if you want to have a team of people and you need to start standardizing, here's what comes in a level one or level two or level three package, and you just state, this is what happens with every level one and clay bar is on there, then your team clay bars the car. I don't have an issue with that. If you're a one-man show and you can, or even a DIYer that may be listening to this, you know, if you are in a situation, I guess is my point, where you can feel the contamination and you're controlling it, you're a one-man show or a DIYer, clay when it's necessary. But if you're trying to grow to a team, you do have to standardize some things that you're going to have done on every single car. And there's probably packages where you're just going to standardize having clay bar done and not even think about it, right? Just have your team 
you know, you do wash, you do a chemical decontamination, then you do a physical decontamination with clay. Uh, and that happens on all of our level two packages prior to a one-step polish, right? So it's a standardized method of doing business perfectly okay and probably what every business does. We certainly do that in my business. Once we reach a certain level of service, we're going to clay the car. No questions asked. I'm not even going to have them check. I told you to clay it. There's, this, this is the, 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 the service, clay the car. Uh, so I think you're right. And if you want to have a team, you need to standardize using clay once you reach certain packages or levels or services that you offer. Now, how do you pick out the difference between a clay bar and a clay mids? Because for me, I went with speed, right? So I, I, that's why I said that story. You know, I talked to people and we're in trainings, we're in certifying, we're, we're getting them ready. And there's this theory that things just take too long. And so I always have, once the pad came out, right? Clay bar was all we had. And even when that's all we had, I still would get it done quite a bit faster because you don't have to do this. You know, you can actually move your hand yep. and you can stretch clay. And I mean, you don't have to do it exactly the exact same, you know, yeah. right. Um, and so I could speed up the process and I didn't necessarily always have to use this spray. I could put it, you know, in my wash process. There's all kinds of different ways. Me as the operator took in a product and used it to best benefit my business. Yeah. Um, I always kept clay, but as soon as clay mitts came out or, you know, clay towels, like you mentioned, as soon as that technology progressed and at first it didn't progress just amazing because those early clay mitts or clay uh, sponges, like you, you commented that first clay sponge that I remember that had that black backing and then this real, real thick clay yep. substance, it marred even a Everything. white hard yeah. clear coat, right? Like, yep. <laughs> so no fucking chance. Would you put that on any dark car and anything with a light style clear you you're in trouble. You're going to almost, we're talking sandpaper later, you know, you might even have to start sanding out some of those incredibly rough clay marrings. And so, yeah, I think this is an interesting conversation for me because, you know, so many guys think as soon as you clay, you have to polish. Okay. That's just their rule of thumb in their business. And there's, there's some sense to it. You are going to do a little bit of micro marring to every surface when you clay borrow it, clay bar it. But we also know that most people just need protection on their car. I mean, most cars aren't even protected. So forget paint correction. We know most cars don't even have protection on them. So the reason I always stayed with fine clay bars is, and I remember testing people on this that made all kinds of comments about, oh, well, you mar the hell out of paint with clay. No, you must mar the hell out of the paint. I don't because I would like you to come and find the marring that I, I produced. And I've had several people that were, you know, experts some in companies you'd know, and I did it and they go, well, right there, wrong. That's not clay bar marring. It's just a scratch that existed. So I stuck with clay because a really fine clay bar, if you know how to use it and keep everything moving the right way, very hard to find marring the way you do from clay mitts and, and things like that. So that's why I, you know, the other part of it is if you use a really, really high quality fine clay, you can really get away with a lot. I mean, you can get the job done and you can keep the surface 
pretty defect free from your clay if you know what you're doing. Doesn't mean 100%, but you can get pretty close. All right. Well, I appreciate that because, like I said, man, I made that switch because I went with speed and I wasn't uh, super excited about guys dropping or gals, right? Dropping <laughs> yeah. it. I myself, maybe once or twice in the, you know, the, now we're at close to 20 years of experience, maybe twice, right? That's really, yeah, ever, I'm sure. Ever, I'm sure. I right? just ever yeah. twice that I actually ever dropped clay, right? No, that was <laughs> fucking brutal. You had to then knead it out. You know, I'd go put water in the microwave and get it to boil and go put my clay in there so I could stretch it out and pick out yeah. the stuff out of it. So yeah. I really enjoyed when the, 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 the mitts I enjoyed it that today. technology Look. got to be a lot better to where I wasn't fucking up cars as much. Uh, I really do like you mentioned the one we had. I really do like that pad. Uh, I can stick great, it on my hand, go through, great value. wash the car, and just I'm in and out. Great it's value. Pretty, yeah, it's pretty. I mean, easy. we have a great value on that mitt. I mean, and again, I showed guys what that surface looked like. It was beat up. That thing getting me ninety percent there was a lifesaver. I mean, because I thought we were talking paint thinner and shit like that over all the car. I mean, I didn't know, to be yeah. honest. Once the clay bar just got rejected, I was like, oh. All right, let's let's close out and we're talking relationships, man. We're talking about uh, how to, you know, we just shared a story. You shared a story about de-escalating and, and now you're going to continue that relationship for many years, hopefully so. You know, I, I have customers too that I've had to de-escalate some stuff. Some stayed, some didn't, right? Some, some moved on. Uh, some customers though, we still serviced even this past weekend. So, you know, being able to take a customer from, well, one year to two years is a big deal, but to continue on 10 plus in a relationship, that takes a special skill and a special mindset and the availability from you as a person to be able to spend the time with your customer. It's not just customers though, right? In your journey as a detailer, we got to understand that you're a businessman also. So, Walk us through on your closing thoughts. You know, what, what is it in business that you need relationships for? You know what? You never know when you're going to need somebody's help. You never know when things pay off. You know, this, this isn't a straight line. And I think a lot of things that I'm coming across recently, and by recently, I mean the last year and a half doing this pod and guys reaching out and you have things like the community pub. I mean, we really, Marty, get a ton of input. <laughs> you know, I don't think people realize how many times our phone rings or a DM is sent and how grateful we are for all that, but it gives you a lot of information, gives you a lot of perspective on a lot of different ends of this United States, how business maybe is done in the Northeast and Southwest and how it's all different and how everybody sees things differently. But I, I, I come back to a, a theory of respecting the source. And what I mean by that is respect the source of where your money comes from, right? So respect your clients. She was mad, right? My client was real mad and real pissed off that a close to $200,000 car was in jeopardy. Understandable. But I respected our 10-year relationship enough to say, hey, let me, let me, let me handle this, okay? Let me, let me be the one that problem solves. But the reason it's important is because you never know when you need those people. You never know when you need a vendor to come through because maybe you quoted a job and forgot you didn't have the coding or you didn't have the, the, the products to do it and they just bail you out. Or an accountant 
a story that you and I have uh, together. We needed some tax stuff done at the end of last year, right? As we were completing this, this transition in business, I was able to call a guy and say, Hey man, I need something done on short notice. Marty, do we have a problem getting it done? No. I've really made my life easier by valuing and respecting the people that help me out in business. And I think a lot of times guys don't know what that means. So I'm going to make it, you know, boil it down, pay people. Don't ask for discounts. Don't ask for those types of things. When we needed that tax stuff, he had to do one month of taxes. But what do we do, Marty? Charges for the year. Okay. Short notice. I need it done. Charges for the year. How many guys are going to do that? Or how many guys are going to ask, hey, just get it done for me. I mean, you're my accountant. Why aren't you getting it done? But I gave him an incentive because his relationship means a lot to me. He's helped me out in business. He's helped me save money. He's helped me run my business more efficiently. How many people don't think about those things? How many people burn bridges because they don't take care of their relationships and business? We're going through a weird time where we all have these internet business relationships, right? Where we just deal with each other over the internet. And the perfect example of this for me, and I'll kind of end on this, is a guy named Sam the Cooking Guy, who 15 years ago, I was watching on a local TV station in San Diego when I lived there. He now has over 3 million YouTube subscribers. This guy has helped me be, cook better food for my family and myself for 15 years. I don't know him. I have no relationship with the gentleman. I just, it's a guy that ended up being big on YouTube that I remember watching on local stations. And about two years ago, he started building his channel. Recently, he released a knife. Sam, the cooking guy knife. I don't need a fucking knife. I got plenty of kitchen knives, but what's the right thing to do? Has he helped me? Yeah. Has he given me great information and entertainment over the years? He sure has. But how many people just take from that relationship? So I ordered the knife. It's $80 and I don't need it. But I want to respect that the guy has helped me become better, become a better cook in my household. He entertains me. But how many guys look at this internet thing and don't realize you got to give back to those people because how many YouTube channels do you watch to help you out in different things? A lot of guys get started in detailing. Do they ever reward those guys that help them get started? Don't know. I don't think so. But I think it's one thing I, I want to say because I've been on my mind for a long time, as you know, you can't make your business life easier if you don't have a whole bunch of people helping you. Period. End of story. And I always, always go back to this. We hear the same thing about hiring and the funny thing is every time you and I dig into it with someone, we find out they weren't paying people. It's always the same. I'm not saying for everybody, but it's always a glaring issue, right? We had a conversation a year and a half ago. You and I got off the phone and couldn't believe what somebody was paying people. Respect the people that help you get where you want to go in life and business. And you'll be amazed at how that gets paid back. I don't think this client of mine's with me 10 years. If I treat all the people in my personal life like crap financially, don't take care of landscapers, don't take care of people that help me in my life. I don't. You're not going to hear this at some training you go to. And I get that. And you're, a lot of you are just going to blow this off. But for the few people that hear this, if you want people to help you, you need to reward them by supporting them financially 
in their business endeavor. If they sell a product, if they sell a service, you need to not ask for discounts and you need to say, Hey, look, man, you're doing a great job. Stay out of their way, pay the bill, move on with your life because they're making your life easier. And so that's kind of what I want to end today. I don't think I'm, I get, I'm given the leeway by my customer. If I don't give that leeway in my own life, when I hire people, you can't ask people to do stuff for you that you don't do for other people. And I think we see it too often in this business and you know, let's call it life corner today. This isn't, this is a bigger topic, but it's something I need to get out there because I'm just running across too many people that don't understand. You can't get to the next level in your business and your financial future without people helping you. And people aren't going to stick around if you don't pay them and you don't respect what they do for you. Yeah, man. I, great words. I, I'm going to do it along uh, a, a little bit of a different theory, but same concept, right? The, the theory is, uh, and some of it I, I've always entertained because I guess growing up here in Oklahoma, you know, agriculture is much bigger than it is in other places of the country. My mother uh, grew up in a, uh, in a cattle auction. That's how her parents made their living. They were auctioning uh, animals. So, you know, definitely is much more into the concept of when you take something, you have to raise it so that then you can get something from it later. All right, that's that's in the animal world. If you're in the farmer world with uh, crops, it's called sowing and reaping. Those of you that grew up or currently are religious, grew up would be myself, no longer would be myself. However, the concept still remains, whatever a man sows, he will also reap. The idea that you're going to cast out seed, you're going to spend a lot of hours working that field, plowing it, getting it ready, watering it, fertilizing. You're going to do a lot of things so that one day you can reproduce a crop. Guess what? When you get that crop, you got to fucking go get it off the goddamn vine. And then you got to get it out to sale. It's a whole process. And those farmers and those that continue to sow in everything rightfully so, they reap a much bigger harvest than those that don't. If you have a mindset that is negative and you're always going after, I love it that you mentioned always asking for a discount. Many of us will have customers come to us and ask us for things, ask us for a discount or ask us if this. One way that you could begin to see how that you're going to grow your business is, are you going to be able to reap from customers like that? Or should you sow in to get customers in a different way? If you're going to sow in to get customers a different way, what is it you need to start building into your own mindset so that you put out the best seed? So that when you grow your business, what grows alongside of you are customers that think along the same lines and want what's best for you because you want what's best for them. However, if you didn't sow in appropriately, those customers don't want what's best for you and more problems will come out. Guess what? The flip side also, if you don't sow into your relationships that aren't just people that pay you, maybe they're relationships of people that you need to pay. Well, if you haven't sowed into relationships by just checking on them, seeing how they're doing, making sure that they're doing well, seeing if there's anything that they've got going on, well, guess what happens when you're trying to reap a harvest 
from somebody that you need help from. It's not always going to work that way. So the concept that I want to throw in my hat to is whatever you sow, you will also reap. That doesn't necessarily mean sins and righteousness. It also means a smile. It also means, hey, how are you? It also means doing the right thing when it's not always the best thing. Well, sowing and reaping will help you stay in business much longer because as you continue to put in, right, it's just like a stock that's going to continue to go up. Positive mindset, positive thoughts, continue to put out positivity into helping others. Well, if you help enough people get what they want out of life, you will also get what you want out. When you sow, you will reap. Just depends on what you're going to sow. How much you're going to fertilize it will depend on how well you will reap. So great words today, Nick, man. Thank you as always for your time. I'm going to go grab me another neon sunshine and uh, hopefully I'll find an orange somewhere so that I can All right, uh, do it the right way. Nick, man, thanks as always, man. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. See you, man. Episode over. Leave us a review and we will see you on the Community Pub Wednesday nights at 730 Central. The Zoom meeting ID is 918-800-1188. That's the Community Pub Wednesday nights, 730 Central. The Zoom meeting ID is 918-800-1188. Grab a pint and enjoy.